2: Okay, our first topic is the
3: Electoral College. Thank you, and good evening again, Joan. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be invited on tonight's call. Admittedly, I must state that uh, when you requested to have an update on the Electoral College, I pondered just a bit if you were um, if you were speaking specifically to the importance of voting, how you actually become a elector for the national elections, um, or if you wanted just information on the electoral college in the states, generally speaking. So a variety of options went through my mind, and so I hope in my comments I actually address those things, um, unless you want to limit my scope in advance.
2: Well, let's start with the one that we know the least about how do you even become an Electoral College? How did you become? What did you do? And if someone had a dream one day and said, I would like to be an Electoral College member, knowing that it's different in each state, just who planted that seed? Is that something you woke up wanting to do or, you know, and then Thank go for there?
3: Thank you. So um, just by way of an introduction, so that each of your uh, participants on this call know uh, from in which I bring my experience and the lenses in which I see the conversation we are about to have. Again, I'm LaSharice Ayer and I'm the state representative for the 63rd district. Um, for those in Virginia, that district includes all of the city of Petersburg, parts of um, Prince George County, parts of Chesterfield County and all of Dinwiddie County, and so that district is comprised of a very diverse population, part rural, part urban, and part suburban. Um, I've been in office now since 2016, and I have to say prior to being in elected office, uh, I was involved greatly in the State Democratic Party of Virginia, as well as the local democratic committees um, in the community that I live in, which is the city of Petersburg. Um, I've probably been involved since college. And so I say all that to say, for the most part, when it comes to being involved in the formal electoral college and finding out how to become an actual elector, it began with that exposure. All politics is absolutely local. And I believe that you hear that often, but it really is the truth. So I have attended um, the National Convention for President Obama as well as the National Convention for um, the formal nomination of Secretary um, Hillary uh, Clinton. And that is where I first actually learned about uh, the formal electoral representatives in the state for the Electoral College. Um, the local committee is responsible for uh, basically providing recommendations of names to the state uh, national to the state Democratic Party. Um, and the same thing also occurs on the Republican side if you're not Democratic. But I assume this might be a uh, Democratic uh, organization. And so for the Democratic Party, we go through a nominations process. So I'll use my current experience right now. I'm actually up to be an elector again. And the process that that requires is the state is broken up into multiple levels of the party. There are local committees, which are made up of the individuals within a specific locality. There are uh, congressional committees which is another layer of the party, which includes representatives from that congressional district, and then there is the state party. In order to be an elector, you have to go through the congressional district level, and then once you are at the state level of the party, the representatives from around the entire state that um, you're representing, they have to cast a vote in support of you. So right now, as we approach the Democratic National Convention, we have over, uh, I want to say, 15 individuals who have filed for the position of electoral. On June the 20th, all of those individuals will be on a ballot for the state Democratic Party convention. And every delegate that has been elected to participate in that convention, they will then cast a vote for who they would like to see become the elector. There are electors for each congressional district, and then there are electors at large that represent or will be basically elected from all of the representatives across Virginia. Once the formal nomination has occurred at the Democratic National Convention and the actual election takes place in November, if, your, if our candidate in this case uh, would be Joe Biden, if he actually wins enough votes, from the state of Virginia to receive our electoral um, vote, we would then convene at some point, it's not preset, but it would be determined after the election to formally as electors cast our votes on behalf of the Commonwealth of Virginia to go towards Joe Biden. Um, so ultimately, this process is highly political, but it's very meaningful, particularly particularly if you're passionate about the individual who you will be submitting votes for so i'll just give another really quick example um and then i'll take questions or i can speak on anything else you have as it pertains to this topic Um, in the last election cycle when hillary clinton was formally elected in virginia and had enough votes to receive the electoral votes on behalf of virginia even though she didn't win the election the electors of virginia still were able to convene and actually cast our electoral votes on behalf of the commonwealth to go towards hillary clinton so oftentimes you hear these references made that while you know uh, donald trump may have received X number of votes from the entire country you also hear this other reference of the votes that he did not receive and so even though a candidate may not win an election, they still are entitled to have those votes formally passed in their name. Um, I found it to be very meaningful to be the elector for Hillary Clinton as a young woman um, and as a woman generally uh, because of what her candidacy represented, not just uh, as someone who was supporting her, but for the political process in our country. And so ultimately, if someone wants to have the ability to serve as an elector, it really starts at getting involved in your local committee um, and engaging all the way through the process. The window to do something like this typically opens right before we have our presidential elections, and every state is a little different, but the one thing that is required is a call uh, to be put out by that state party of how they, the process will be governed, and they typically do that by March of any presidential election year. Um, but, it, it, again, it just involves being, in par- being involved with your local party ultimately. And I'm happy to take any questions or elaborate if there's more information you would like. Joan. That's Phenomenal. You could do a class on that. I
2: could. I've been doing this for a
3: while. (laughs) Well, here's the question.
2: How do we, as just regular people, parents, when our kids or um, teenagers or just people in social media in general, throw up that banner, oh, your vote doesn't count because we have an electoral college or we need to just ban the whole electoral college process and start anew? What's your what do we say so to I, educate,
3: so I, I or have you to don't hear those topics? It, no, I do hear those topics, and in, fi- in, in fact, when I'm doing voter registration outside of the local Walmart, <laughs> I often get into that debate with um, my peers who are in my age range, I'm 33, so I often have those conversations with my peers or younger individuals. I never really seem to have that problem with our older adults. It really is oftentimes that I come in contact with younger people who have that perspective. I will say that most of them are not approaching the value of their vote from an electoral college standpoint. Most of them are, uh, they feel a great deal of apathy towards elected officials in general. And what I have found is that when you turn on your TV or the things that are most highlighted Uh, is the dysfunction that occurs at the federal level. And what often occurs is people begin to correlate the elected officials at the local level and the state level with some of the toxic behaviors and messaging that they hear that's on display for them in a much more public fashion um, at the federal level to those types of interactions. And so oftentimes what I find myself doing is talking about the role and the collaboration that is required if you really want to see the change that you feel like is being not heard right now, um, how that is brought to be. Even in what we see happening around us, there's a lot of emotion and a lot of frustration. But I'm a strong believer that there is a role for each of us. There's a role for the activist. There's a role for the voter. There's a role for the elected official, and there's a role for the organizers. But the thing that is missing is the collaboration of all of those roles and the organization that's required for us to each embrace and understand and respect those roles and execute the, the, the duties that come with them so that we are all rolling in the same direction towards the same goals. Oftentimes, you hear the activist calling out the person in power, versus collaborating in such a way that allows me to basically uh, get you to to direct that energy towards the person who's working against the things that I'm trying to accomplish on your behalf. And, John, I could really break this down and talk about this all night long, and I don't want to do that, but ultimately the conversation that I have with people who feel like their vote doesn't count is I teach them about the accountability that they have as a voter. I show them, here's how you can make sure I'm actually doing what you, you are afraid I'm not doing on your behalf. And I think if we equip more people with the tools to actually realize their power, one by one we can begin to change that narrative. It's not easy work. It's hard work. But we have to agree that that is the work that has to be done in order to begin to change some of um, that apathy that exists out there.
2: Thank
4: you. Does
2: anyone have any questions or follow-up?
4: I I have a question. This is Mike Harris. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Um, Why is it that that there's not a lot lot of education about the Electoral College, especially in what we call battleground states and Stuff you know, it's just not a lot of uh, unless you're involved in in, in in the political process. You know, it's kind of difficult to explain to an individual why the electoral college elects presidents and not the people. And when somebody tells them that they, that it's the electoral college, confusion comes about because they're not educated. So why isn't there more emphasis? That's what my question placed on what it is that you're telling us
3: tonight. Yeah, I really appreciate that. You know, I'm going to admit that I am in a bubble a little bit, but I appreciate that. What I see are the communications that go out from the party. I have no real way of knowing the reach of that, but I do see attempts at communicating those opportunities. Um, I will say also that the electoral college process is not a sexy role oftentimes that people want to be part of or they want to sign up for. They often, from my experience in talking with people about it, they consider it to be just another duty with very little results. And so I'm not sure why that perspective is. Um, What I can say is that I have tried to get involved with the party early on, especially the local party that has the ability to push this out for that very reason because a lot of it is an inside uh, baseball uh, type of um, atmosphere, and if you're not in it, then you miss out on hearing about these things. And I try to bring more people into the fold so that the more we know and we find out along the way we're able to sort of, for lack of a better word, put our people on. But these are power structures that have long existed that quite frankly, we don't have a great deal of interest in because we can't see the immediate return. And so for the people who are part of this power structure or they're playing the inside political baseball game, um, I know I consider it a a responsibility, but I hope others who are also participating, uh, particularly in Virginia, that we're taking that information back to our people and letting them know, hey, this opportunity exists, this is how you should get involved. And, I mean, I can only point to examples um, specifically like with our congressional district, uh, our local committee chairs, Well, I'll pull people who, you know, have often said, well, I'm involved in this, I'm involved in that, well, I need you here. So I try to be very deliberate about that work and pulling people who I know will uh, be engaged and will spread the information as they are learning it and receiving it. But I will agree with you that we need to do more of that because right now the way the structure of the political Democratic Party system is set up, no, you're not going to see um, it adver- advertised and broadcasted in a way where your everyday citizen is going to know the opportunity exists.
4: You you mentioned earlier that it, you, you, you could teach a class on this, and to, uh, for me, I think a class is needed. And I think that is something that is needed dearly at this particular point because, with what we have going on right now in our country. What it is that we have is a group of a group of individual young people, right? That's really charged up uh, emotionally about what's going yes. on. And they're the very ones that's talking about why vote, right? And that, that's what I'm hearing <laughs> from my youngsters and I'm hearing it from a lot of youngsters here in Hopewell. And you know, so they're in a, they're in gear now. To do something, and they said, "Well, what do we do next?" All right, now, what it is that we do next is we get Trump out of the White House next, and then we want to talk That's about right. how we're going to do that. So, explaining to them and educating them about the history, right, is what is needed. So, if it's a class that needs to be taught, then I think we need to get to teaching it. That's just my thought on it. But thanks, you've been back. time I've 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 I've
3: I've 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 I, I, I could, and if I could, and if I could respond briefly, I would say. You know, I don't know that right now in this environment we have time for a class. So again, I said I'm 33, which means oftentimes I can understand this sentiment of what you are of what we are seeing from young people in the streets. And as someone who is equally impatient, and I'm an elected official um, and a representative of about 80 over 80,000 people, the government system doesn't move fast enough. But this is why I talk about the importance of organizing your activists, your organizers, along with your elected officials, because right now there's a disconnect. So you have this anger and this fury around why haven't these laws changed. Well, guess what? The people showing up in the streets right now, they don't know that me and my colleagues have been fighting for these very laws that they're calling for for the last five years, right? And so – Now that they are in the streets and they are protesting and they are engaged and they're watching and they're looking for what's next, I and I know many of my colleagues, because we're having this conversation daily, we're trying to figure out, we know the road to change will go through policy. There's no doubt about that. How do we now direct all of these individuals that are engaged and get them to push for the next leg of this race which is policy advocating for policy change. And so those conversations are going on, and I know that I have to go to where they are in order to communicate to them directly in a way that they can relate to and that they can understand. Um, But something like a class is great for the future, um, and is absolutely needed, but it's not the work that we have to do right now. And I'm hopeful that uh, with all of the organizations that I see that are putting things out, I know that specifically I can only speak to the Virginia Legislative Black Caucus, we are actively and as fast as we can planning opportunities to engage with these individuals because no one is directing them right now. It is just raw emotional reaction. Um, Some of it is strategy, right, but not all of it. And in order for us to be effective when we get into, let's say, the next um, opportunity to make laws, which in Virginia is going to be the special session, how do we make sure that those individuals that are not in communities where these protests are happening, like your far southwest Virginia, your far south side Virginia, and where you don't have representatives that look like us, how do we make sure that they are hearing the message loud and clear so that Black Caucus members and other perhaps Democratic Caucus members that will be pushing for this change, they feel the pressure and the need to act right now and not later. So I think this is a conversation we have to continue to have, Um, but more importantly, we've got to figure out really quickly how to get organized so that everybody who is serving in one of those roles right now can embrace that role and we're all going in the same direction in as much as possible.
4: Thank you. I can appreciate your energy.
3: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and this is
2: just a start, so this is not the end. So we invite you. We have our um, our meetings are planned for the rest of the year. We only meet one hour once a month, and so we invite mm-hmm. you to come back anytime you can. Thank you. Thank you so much.
3: Please have a great night.
2: Okay. Next up uh, is our congressional candidate.
1: Hi. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me, Joan. And La Cheresa actually learns quite a bit myself, and so um, I'm excited that um, you're excited to to get uh, people in your generation um, motivated. But quickly, I, if if you don't mind, because I really want to hear the next speaker as well, and I know you're going to cut it off at 10. Um, I am running, and I'm going to narrow my focus on what's important to me that I think is important to you about education. My focus is on our little ones. Um, I truly am concerned about um, particularly our children um, not getting the necessary resources that they need in the school setting because they're based on their, um, their environment that they live in the the per capita cost that they're garnering in their various community community, and as a result, we don't have the most advanced uh, technology or resources that we need. I am particularly concerned that this pandemic really highlighted the disparity in, commu- in um, educational systems. I live in Chesterfield. My little one happened to to say school was out Friday. Monday they were up and running with um, a Chromebook that he brought home from school um, and a Zoom schedule, and they were up and running. My cousin, her children in Hopewell, unfortunately, did not have those same um, resources. And so I'm very concerned how we calculate the cost for our school systems. I think in Virginia we spend, I think $11,000 per student um, and it is clearly showing not to be sufficient, particularly in our communities. So one, I'm, um, I have spent 30 years working for the federal government. That 30 years has been um, largely in the defense, the Department of Interior, Serving as the joint chief of staff um, and at the Pentagon, but what is important is I spent a lot a large part of my time technology, technology for the intelligence community, technology for the defense, um, technology for renewable energy. And so my, my foundation is based around technology, and I know where technology is going, and our children are not being prepared for the technology or the gig economy. So I'm also concerned about the lack of those resources in our school based on where the job market is going. So we're going to create a, a larger and larger gap for our children. And so um, I'm a, I, I really want to support and focus my attention on education and closing that disparity. Um, I also feel that um, college is becoming uh, um, too expensive, obviously, our, our particular kids are mortgaging their future just to get an education, and so I'm an advocate for two years of free tuition for public colleges and universities or vocational school. Um, and I also believe that additional two years should be afforded to students, provided that they do Give back in service and kind services. So if you get four years of free college, I would like to see you spend four years in the government or four years in one of our public schools to as as a repayment or as a, an opportunity to pay back the community to help you get through through college. And then finally, I am real concerned about standardized testing because I don't feel that is a, a adequate or appropriate measure of a child's performance. It's becoming, at this point, teachers are teaching for them to pass the test. And the test is becoming twofold. One, to see if the child understands, but two, it's to see if it's held as a measure for how well a teacher is teaching. And so there's a conflict of interest there. And so much of our time, of the student's time and the teacher's time, is preparing just for that test. Across this country, we spend $1.7 billion just on assessment, and that money could be better used um, to look at different ways to acknowledge, to promote, to excite our children around their strengths. And um, so I would like to see the Department of Education and our legislative body to look at, I, I talked about it, I think, before everyone got on the phone, this program that I would like to like to push, call, recognize, reward, and replicate. There's sometimes we just want to throw money at a situation, and that may not always be the i you know the optimum way because there's so many creative things that are happening across this country, but they're not recognized. They're isolated. They're kept within their district, and sometimes they're dismantled because of mere reasons. But I would like to. And, push initiative called recognize, reward, and replicate. And the recognize is recognizing that there are some great ideas and nationally we need to socialize those so that they can be replicated across the United States. And, you know, people are, are teachers need to be rewarded and respected for the work that they do and encouraged to be creative. and Um, like I said, and to replicate that across. So that is my current platform around technology. I I mean, I'm sorry, around education. I know I'm kind of quick in in giving this synopsis, but I'm very much interested in this body's desire to see change at the legislative branch for education and how, um, uh, serving as your congresswoman for the 4th Congressional District, how I could help, push that agenda or support that agenda. So um, that's, that's what i like to share with you tonight, at least around the education component of my
4: platform. Well,
2: thank you. Thank you. Does anyone have any questions?
4: I just want, what, what, um, what, 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 what areas does the 4th Congressional District cover, in there there?
1: So It's about 16 different um, uh, areas from Richmond. I can, Do you want me to list them all? But it's from Richmond down to Chesapeake, Southampton area, Uh Chesterfield, okay. Chesa-
4: yeah. Okay. So you do reach down in Tidewater, right?
1: Some parts is Chesapeake and uh, Southampton, yeah.
4: Okay, because okay, cause, cause Bobby Scott is in the third congressional district, right?
1: And, yeah, and a lot of that Virginia Beach and those areas fall under Mr. Scott.
4: Okay. All right, well, that's good. I'm glad. Okay. All right, that was it. Good luck. Okay.
2: Thank you. We're going to now quickly transition to Toya Tucker. Congratulations. Let's give her a big hand.
5: Woo! Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Toya Tucker from Columbus Georgia. Uh, the City Council for District Four. Uh,
2: Toya, hold on a second. It's a little bit muffled.
5: Okay, is it, just, is it muffled? Can you hear me now? Okay, try it again. I probably. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, cause I got my headset on. All right. So I um from Georgia. And I just won the seat. It was an open seat. Uh, I was being mentored by the individuals who had the seat prior for 30 years. And um, she was the mayor pro tem. So I heard you. You want me to give three tips. Um, my one tip that I, I've learned over the last four years of just going to different conferences and trainings is to really build your kitchen cabinet, um, to build your team. So I just had to have some dedicated um, volunteers and people who was not just um, against what I was against or for what, what I was for, they were for me. So those are my close-knit um, friends and family that I, know, I knew that would support me regardless of, of you know, whether I won or whether I didn't. Um, and I know it's going to sound kind of cliche, but, like, when the going gets tough, like, the tough gets going, you cannot give up. I think the last time I did the call, I probably sounded a, a little defeated. I was tired. I was tired. This this has been the longest um, election cycle with um, COVID-19. So you just gotta keep you gotta keep pushing um and and one of my things my my things that I do is every morning and every night I am praying I'm praying for myself, I'm praying for my campaign and my strength uh to keep pushing um that that's really what kept me going and I would say the third thing is that you have to to believe in yourself. And and really I'm just kind of pulling it on a personal tip because all of us can go on Emily's list or the National Democratic training site or or anywhere to get uh, how to run a campaign and figure out like your budget and your win number and all those tips like that. However, you never really get the personal um, story of how it it takes um, perseverance and dedication and commitment to work to for others, but you have to have the passion to You know, it's, it's what
3: you have
5: that, that will push you, and you have to remember like, have some that you say every morning that you know, I will not give up, I will continue, I'm going to push through this. You know going to so uh you know I just wanna give the personal um account of of what I had to do because i I really this we had to come up with different strategies because we couldn't go door to door and it was it was almost like going back to you know calling call time call time was so important, but it was it was don't you know. Feels on the opposite side versus me talking to a person, you know. In person. So, um, you know, just keep pushing. I don't know how many people were, that was on the call that was running, you know, for office. I heard Congress, and that's way bigger than than my small, you know, city council uh, election. However, I will say this: in 2016, we only had 2,000 people come out to vote for this. Um this this seat that I'm in uh this year it was way over 5000 people that came out to vote so um you know it's it's definitely the momentum is out there people are um really determined to to use their their voice by voting now so just just really um take take advantage of the momentum that's being spread throughout the country, uh, because people are excited, you know, about change in this election. So just just keep pushing.
2: Thank you. Does anyone have any questions? And congratulations again. We are so proud. We won yes, another election. Your election is our okay. election.
1: Yeah, I have a question. Thank you. So thanks for sharing your story. Um, you said this is your second or third time running, and you prevailed this time. So congratulations.
3: So um,
1: you said you did a lot of phone calls. Um, did you do uh, a lot of virtual town halls or um, any type
5: of um, Zoom meetings or anything with your constituents? I only did one forum, one at. <laughs> um and and that that was it and that was uh it was a form that was a with my my um opponent um Uh and and what happened when i did that that form i went and i um i recorded it so on my my facebook on my facebook page i did Mm -hmm. like a watch party and i have a group and i did a watch party so i just kept playing it over and over and over, like looping it on different, mm-hmm. like on my regular page, my Facebook page, and then I have a group, and when people saw that I was prepared, you know, when they asked questions, I had the house bills, and I was telling them, not only just on the local level, but I was showing them what's going on in the state, you know, as far as um, new bills that we have that, you know, we got a hate crime bill that's being proposed right now during a session. And we don't have an ordinance um, for a hate crime here locally. So when you start speaking, you know, knowledge, and as long as you have that, for me, it worked. I don't know, you know, if you are on a Congress level, but for me, it worked. And then I had um, a commercial that I did the same thing. I just really use social media more, like pre, pre-recorded things, and people was actually watching them. You know, because they didn't oh. have to come come on a, a form or you know uh, something that was already done. They can just watch what I had I had out there for them. Okay, thank you.
3: You're welcome. Okay, does anyone else
2: have any questions? Okay, well we have five minutes, so I want to make sure I respect everyone's time and ask you all for permission. Um For maybe five extra minutes to read um I don't know if Shereen's on the call uh, um and I wanna thank everybody for being here and everybody that presented and shared. so I don't wanna go so quickly that you feel that your um contribution was not valuable because without you, uh, you know we don't have this recording to be able to share for other people to expand their knowledge, increase their confidence, and most importantly benefit the children in their family, in their network, in their community. Um, We need people to feel that they make a difference, that they matter, and that the more information they have, the smarter choices and the better things that they can do to help their families and help their community, and that's what PTAC is all about. Um, Shireen is a long-term member, and what I had challenged her to do, and I challenged everybody in PTAC, when they have these wonderful ideas um, of an article, we can vote as a group um, and determine if that is something that we want to publish um, under blacknews.com for PTAC. Now, she wrote this, and it's pretty long. So I'm going to read some of it and just so you all can get a flavor for it and then um, just hear from you um if there's support for moving forward and publishing it. Um, Let's see. I'm going to just read the first page of it. One, two. I'll read the first page, and I'll read the last page. Okay, it's called The Latest Black Movement May Be the Greatest Black Movement of Them All. The notorious Ku Klux Klan infiltrated police departments across America in the 1960s, 1970s, and then the 1980s, and on into the 1990s on our watch. Point of reference. We are the Joshua generation, the generation that followed the Moses generation that claims the name of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Ralph David Abernathy, Rosa Parks, and all others in that age group. By the time black America realized the police departments were infiltrated, they were already in full swing. They were deeply penetrated, and no matter what we said to other black people about, they didn't take long to tell us that we, quote-unquote, wake up in the morning with a fight to pick with white people, quote-unquote. A lot of us simply didn't care or were in deep denial about it. They won a couple of battles, got a few coat hanger revocable laws, and thought they were immune. They dropped the ball between 1968 to 1970, and those who tried to pick up where Dr. King and his generation left off were summarily dismissed by the quote-unquote party-hardy crowd. Eerily enough, all they needed was for black people to go to sleep long enough for them to regenerate and come at us from another angle, and nobody wanted to hear it. Quote, as long as they don't mess with me or mine, unquote. Once old Ronald Wilson Reagan Reagan, made it his business to actively recruit the blue Ku Klux Klan all over the nation and read a scripture from the Bible while he was doing it. Remember, I remember saying, be careful, the devil knows scripture too, and you will look up one day and he'll have us back on plantations, unquote. I got a lot of arguments about how none of this was Reagan's fault, and as long as he doesn't mess with me or what's mine, and even worse, on plantations again, that'll never happen. Yet, what are they calling the school-to-prison pipeline now? I saw it coming. What had happened was, we like to do a lot of talking about how evil Hillary Clinton was for helping along the three-strikes laws that formulated a basis for mass incarceration of black men, particularly young black men. But we don't do a lot of talking about how Ronald Wilson Reagan set it off in the 1980s or about all the black people, including the Congressional Black College, who caucus who co-signed for it why would other black people do such a thing because crime in the black community has escalated beyond anything we ever thought we would see in our lives with the now infamous Cointelpro pro hit reagan and his cronies wanted to start a war against the contras and the sandinistas down in south america and he was told he was going to have to find a way to fund it what better way to, than to infuse the black community with crack cocaine beginning in south-central l.a make them pay for it, and then lock them up for having it. That's page one. I'm going to jump to the last page. In conclusion, if the youth keep up the good cause and the work to be done in this age, we pray that their own children and grandchildren and future generations to come will never have to revisit this moment again. We are better than this. Even they know it, or they wouldn't keep trying to beat some sense into us, even though they think they're beating us down. They are on the wrong side of history, and they will lose. Good will win. The youth seem to finally realize it's not all about them. We did not expect to see Michael Donald or James Byrd or Amado Diallo or Eleanor Bumpers or Kenneth Walker or Sean Bell or Oscar Grant or Michael Brown or Trayvon Martin or Sandra Bland, Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, then I added Darren Hunt or Angel DiCarlo. White people do it too. It's simply not an excuse. White people, well, then I scratched out the last part she had because I didn't want to go there. It says, white people play with monkeys, bats, and other strange, non-people-friendly animals and vermin and spread diseases that they blame others for. And if they crawl into a level four biohazard area without their hazmat suits and goggles and gloves on, do we need to follow behind them there too? It's all about time to finish. So I crossed that part out, and I left a part that she has. Is it's all about time to finish this once and for all, but the love starts at home. you want me to read the
0: second page? Was this from
2: Sharon? Yeah. You want me to read the second page? He, he said All yes. Right. Um All Ms. Right. John, is this from Shireen? Yeah, this is Shireen. I mean, this is okay. what Shireen wrote. All right. It okay. was an ingenious plan just as diabolical as Adolf Hitler's move to rid Germany first of the aboriginal Jews who had gone to the Rhineland to flee persecution and then to rid the nation of what he called Bastardos, who had aided and abetted and even mixed races with those original Jews, now known around the world as European Askenazi. It didn't take long to produce A, cheap and easy smokable cocaine or crack or rocks, B, flood the black community with it, an easy target because of the proliferation of drugs that was already there, and because it was infused with desperate, hungry, thirsty black folks who could not win and had nothing to lose, and C, crack babies birthed by black society's most rejected black women who would do anything for that next hit just to ease the pain of being black and poor in a nation that hated them before they were ever born. The crime rates were alarming and a lot of black people appalled by the gang banging, drive-bys, rapes, child porn, sex trafficking, helped Bill and Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and anyone else who would listen pass those laws to get them behind bars and get them put away quickly. Ronald Wilson Reagan was a principal actor in setting one of the worst epidemics of drugs and crime in black America that had ever been seen. New Jack City was birthed on his watch and he got his money for his illicit wars. Of course, tougher sentencing laws for crack than for its birth mother, cocaine, had to be the end result of that. Reagan's war on drugs only made the drug problems worse, which made Nancy's campaign to just say no all that much worse. Another brother wants to win the Hustler of the Year Award. How many Benzes and BMWs can one man afford? It ain't just him. It's also you and you and that guy. Who won't be satisfied? till all of us, is getting high. One hit for her, she's pulling the... Ooh. one hit for him is what they took as yours it's nothing but a small thing in a big city you're living for the money b that's from um living for the city i guess from new jack city just like melania trump campaigning against bullies while being married to the biggest bully in the world nancy reagan's acts to end drug abuse were just as laughable except nothing was funny not for black america and she has black Christianity as weakness. Reagan rolled out his own evil empire on a Bible scripture. If my people who are called by my name, Second Chronicles 7:14. Before the other shoe dropped, black people didn't even know what hit them and were actually defending Reagan in the absolutely worst case of Stockholm syndrome any of us had ever seen. It's no wonder so many younger black people see elder answers as praying, bold, weak-kneed, begging Christians. Realistically, however, it took an act of strength to come out against evil by hitting back at it with good, but it cost a lot of lives. The Moses generation eventually aged out, and now the Joshua generation is pretty much tired of protest and marching, but more than happy to see young people picking up where the Civil Rights Movement left off in 1968 to complete the cycle. A kinder, friendlier Ku Klux Klan. A white news journalist and friend of mine wrote an article with that same title back in the 1980s, A kinder, friendlier Ku Klux Klan. It was a story about a young black girl in the South who was working at a small country department store. He wanted to know what she thought of Ronald Reagan. And as he interviewed her, a Klansman approached the cash register and basically said they had their niggers under control and there was no need in him coming down starting trouble. All she said was that he had the right to feel anything he wanted to feel, and it didn't bother her. Or was she afraid to say otherwise? He also went out in the field to interview some of the black children who were being resegregated in Mus- Muskegee County, Georgia schools. They were having previously removed color lines redrawn around them. And one 14-year-old said, quote, if they don't want to go to school with us, we don't want to go to school with them. I left the Columbus Ledger Inquirer by then and moved to Atlanta but I still read the paper. I found it hard to believe that so many years later, even though integration was not the best thing that could have happened to black people in the 60s and 70s, black people in the 1980s and 1990s would not have a problem with being marginalized and put right back where they were before any of this took place. Subsequently, the biggest piece of the property tax And SPLOST Cheese went to the whiter schools with their chosen magnet, token Negro students, and the lower-income black schools lost out again. They, too, believed affirmative action was unfair to whites, but they didn't see themselves losing out. They just never got around to thinking they deserved better than whatever leftovers were tossed at them. But don't hold your breath yet. Beg Beg your pardon? Not only did Reagan reinstate governmental dependency and lowercase morals by pretending to be against drugs while proliferating drugs in the black community, but he also started his welfare queen model at the publicly demoralizing expense of young black women and their children, kicking off this whole new baby mama and baby daddy generation. The evangelical Christian drama with its cold desire for money, materialism, and the reinstatement of white supremacy was not new to the Tea Party. It just grew into this apish monster during the Barack Obama presidency and gave them a name to attach themselves to. They wanted it to be about the violence piece of the Boston Tea Party with no understanding of the difference between a revolution without a cause and a revolution that demanded equal rights and freedom for themselves, even as they took it from others. We tend to overlook how we feed the monster with gangster and hardcore rap with the contentment of calling one another every derogatory plantation and Jim Crow name they could throw at us, and how our own desire for white trash bling helped along a newly reformed version of white supremacy that justified the glorification of violence, especially on black souls. It was right there in front of us all along, and we chose not to see, but to continue on with the sex, drugs, rock and roll party, and right to free speech, when the history was never there to match it. The Black Trump connection? Donald Trump, now like Ronald Reagan then, was on the Hollywood track for at least four score and ten years. Black people were desperately desirous of any way they could appease white people in order to get a hold of financial stability and celebrity legitimacy, and it didn't matter how many niggers they had to roll over to get it. It's not hard to blame black people who disparage black people and black people who do commit crimes, and disturb the peace of others in their own neighborhoods with the deaths of so many black people who are unarmed and innocent of any crimes if they are not completely innocent they did nothing that merited the death penalty but those blacks who dog their own in exchange for money and crime while black have to take responsibility for their own role in all of it they admire trump for far too long they were fooled by the televised imagery of illicit riches and stable genius business sense and never realized that they were looking at a made-up fairy tale made, of, made up of alternative facts, Hollywoodian lies. So what you got to lose? Choosing white over right comes with a price. As a private citizen, Trump could have kept his messes hidden and kept up the pretense, but he decided to ditch Bill Cosby, whose word when it came to politics was almost law at the time, and then announced his candidacy for president. Once his biggest opposition was out of the way on some old trumped-up rate charges, he went, on the, he went after the easier target, Barack Obama. He finally taunted black people with that infamous, you've been voting Democrat all your lives and never got anything. What do you have to lose by voting for me? These are some illogical black folks who have never been on the racial battlefield. They did not have an inkling of what they were about to lose, so they laughed and chimed in with him. And now, well... Black lives don't seem to matter, a hill of beans to Trump, and he even appears at times to make a pitch for an all-out race war against black people and people of color of all ethnicities. Trump's bloodthirsty base has commenced with the blatant, proud Blue Klux, Blue Klux Klan killing, and even now they're saying they're waiting on the green light for Trump to set off the race war they've been waiting on for decades. It's not so funny now, is it? It's time to get to work. Though it should have happened a long time ago, The SHIT got real when we watched George Floyd get murdered on Trump's watch by some very fine people, quote-unquote, whom he had said in no uncertain terms did the right thing by asphyxiating him and then letting him die. Given the way Floyd's death not only changed the world and set up a worldwide demand for justice and reparations for black Americans, it appears that this new millennial generation is about to set it off in ways only they can. We older folks aren't new to the game, but we had to fill in many, many blanks and gaps waiting on black people to stop feeding the vainglorious monster, and now it looks like it's finally going to happen on our watch. We didn't want to take over the game. We were tired of holding up the bloodstained banner for decades and being ignored, and it's more than a shame that it took all this to finally wake them up, but woke they are. Of course, that we'll be around to give them advice and guidance. We were the first front-line beneficiaries of the last civil rights movement that Dr. King and the rest of the Moses generation was just getting started on before some white people assisted by some black people had him assassinated. True, when this work is being done, we may never know who we can trust until the dust is cleared. But leaning on the lessons of the past, this latest civil rights movement, Black Lives Matter, could end up being the greatest of them all. We're proud of the newer younger generations all across the world who are picking up the bloodstained banner that we can finally let go of but there's still a lot of work to be done. We look around us, and it looks like the scales have finally fallen off our eyes, that we are no longer in denial about the racism that was hidden, that never went away, and now is in full force right in front of our eyes. And we can only beg pardon of God that they do not give in or early abort this time and see this thing all the way through. Mentally free at last. Mentally free at last. Thank God, O man. We are mentally free at last. And then that's what she says in conclusion, you know, the part that I read earlier. So, thoughts? Need to shorten it, go with
4: it, or
2: just let Shireen publish it.
4: Go with it, it. what you read. Go with it. Go with it. Don't shorten nothing. You and like and uh, it. I I like the, I like everything that you're saying in that. And who 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 published that? One of our members, Shereen. 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 Uh, I, Shereen. I, I, yeah, that was good. It was well worth listening to, it. and uh, it's inspiring. Okay, and it is also insightful, which is the reason why that us older American Black people has got to be um, we 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 can't we can't sit down there and not do anything and not say anything because uh, there is some direction that's needed because. Right now, our strategy is not right now uh, materialized to the point where um, I think it should be, and uh, so there's a lot of things to be said, uh, especially now because you hit right on it in regards to what it is that's a tru- truism, all right? So, and I'm seeing it, and and I'm seeing us revisiting some of the, some of the fifties um, uh, and sixties of Hopewell and I know that individuals that live in other areas are seeing some things that they it if they've been around long enough to see it and recognize it again. And I think that right there puts it in, in perspective. That's my thought on it.
2: Um, All right. Well, I didn't know if the group thought it would be too long or too radical, but I think the thing about writing is that people can choose to read or skim or whatever. Um, but I just told her I just thought it was too good to just stay as a Facebook post. I said this needs to be out there to get people to think and move forward. Any other thoughts?
6: I definitely say yeah, go with yeah. it. Let's uh let's shake things up. It it, it will definitely warrant a conversation.
0: Yeah, but that's 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 what we're having, these conversations. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm back to the, the same thing that brought us together, which is that action. And the action being left in chaos, you're starting to see a lot of bodies coming up out of nowhere because it's disorganized chaos and we're not protected. You have a lot going on right, but what is initially, what is the plan? Because while you're going forward, you still have to have a plan, which is what brought us together. So if we don't fix family, unity is at stake, because that's been the issue. That was the reason why the Reagan move worked. When he destabilized, see, Republicans destabilized shit, excuse my language, and that's how they create the chaos to distract you. So it was Reagan that destabilized families with the no fault divorce. Now I can slide the drugs because you're destabilized. You got chaos like right now. See, right now we have chaos. Who's at stake with COVID and these diseases that's being released? We are. So how do you be strategic? while being aggressive, while you're leading. Now you're the leaders. Where does it look like? And so her letter going out is cool. Like you said, it was on a Facebook post. That's cool, too. But I'm looking, searching, seeking for the solution, the direction, the plan that everyone can get on board with, because for me, where I'm at, you know, it's the same things. It's like with all of that beauty and people moving, we still have, we still got six, six, six soldiers. Your soldiers are sick. So we not organized in terms of where, who, what it's, it's yeah, you got help, but that's that's my only I think gripe about this whole thing. Yeah, we out there. Yeah, you marching, the young know, people they walking, we protesting, right? You're defunding, right, to reorganize in Minnesota. New Jersey had already defunded and has been winning. They were talking about bringing that to a czar. But when those people step down, where are they going? When, the, when you move the cops, what are they doing? Who's watching those who have left? Who's got the plan on the other side for in preparation? We still have poor diets, right? So who where are we at in preparing, as the letter just said?
3: well you know, I'll,
2: me. I'll, I'll so, say the mission and vision we've always had with PTAC is the Ethiopian proverb that's when spiderwebs unite they can tie up the lion right now the spider webs are just realizing their job is what? To spin a web. So once these spider webs, and when I say spiders, I mean little groups, your little urban leagues, your little NAACPs, your little cells that are around the country, are just starting to realize, ouch, that hurt. You know, I lost my job. Ouch, that hurt. I'm waiting for food stamps to come in the mail. You know, these are things that a lot of people never had to worry about 12 months ago. 24 months ago, 36 months ago. And so until we feel the need to connect the spider webs, the lion is comfortably doing what it does, is devouring. So I feel what you're saying, but I think we are moving to the place where people are realizing, I may not like John Doe, but I can respectfully collaborate. I may not want to do blah, 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 but I can I can respectfully sacrifice and be there or show up. And that's a new phenomenon for people of color because, Calvin, you know, and most of us on the call know how difficult it's been to get individuals to feel like they can collaborate. It's either you want to come under my umbrella or I have to come under your umbrella or I'm not going to work with you. And I think the more folks get attacked, you have that common enemy, people will start to coalesce and fall in line and start moving towards an objective. And we all know the number one objective is to reclaim the White House. So what do yeah, we do in the next six months? We've got to reclaim congressional seats. We've got to claim Senate seats. You know, we've got to do the councils. We've got to do all these things to get the momentum Because people are going to be gnashing teeth pretty soon when they can't eat. And they're going to be gnashing Uh, teeth pretty soon when they can't make their rent payments for August.
4: John, who is the gentleman that just spoke, John?
2: Okay, all our latecomers. Okay. 313. We did introductions earlier.
0: Oh, Kelvin Man. PTAC Vice President. Yes, ma'am. Good fathers, family. Yes. PTAC vice president Encourage me. I'm young. Um, what city? I'm from uh, Detroit, Michigan. All uh, right. Yeah, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and building soldiers.
4: All right. And
2: our um, our our P-TAC secretary joined us?
4: Well, I got. I, you know, I I just wanted to comment on on the gentleman from Detroit. Uh, and uh, I, you know I went to a Historically Black University in Petersburg, and my roommate was from Detroit. And uh, in my freshman year, and what it is that I want to say, John, is that when when you got as much going on as we go on, it's going to be difficult to do what we need to do and have what we said need heard in an hour. So I'm not right now pressed myself because I don't have. No, I, I'm retired, so I and I know people have to work tomorrow and so forth. But what it is that I would want to say is, in response to my brother from Detroit, you're absolutely right. What is our strategy, right? Well, for the individuals that's that's as old as I am, right, know know that our strategy is in our history. And for us to develop what we need to do going forward, we need to go back into our history. You know, I I, I was there, and I've seen it work and I believe it can work again. We have to educate. We have to get in front of this parade, and we have to educate our people to go in the right direction. I'm just going to give you just one one example. Uh, Bloody Sunday. Bloody Sunday, back in 1965, when they beat John Lewis and Jose Williams down, when they tried to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and it mobilized the entire nation. And Dr. King came back the next week, right, and he was wise enough not to fall into the same scheme that John Lewis and Jose Williams fell into. And they had a successful march, 51 miles. And my father marched with him, all 51 of those miles. And as a result, we got the Voting Rights Act. And we had an accomplishment that we got for something that we could go forward with Three years later, Dr. King was killed. But before he was killed, he wrote a book. And the book title was uh, Chaos. Where do we go from here? Chaos or community. We have to look into that and get some understanding of what it is that we need to do to grasp hold of this energy that we have now. And we need to put it in the right direction. And the the, uh, lady that won the election... Down there in Columbus, Georgia, is a perfect example of that. And her persistence, right, her persistence is what it was that got her into her spot. She told me, she said she won at won three other times. I've seen that persistence, that persistence work. Our, our strategies have to be developed. We have to put the things together. Right, it's, it is late hour for this year, but it's not too late. So, and, and just to briefly answer you, in regard, you know, that's my thought on it. That's what it is that I'm uh, actually uh, – someone said that – I think it was the delegate. She said it's local. That's exactly where we have to be. We have to be locally. And if individuals locally stabilize, then we can nationally do things. We can statewide and nationally do things. We have individuals in place that can do that. We, but we have to start listening to each other. So, that having said that, I'm not gonna prolong this any any longer. But it's you know I'm not at all uh, disappointed because we went longer than an hour. So that's oh, my that's my take. All right, that's for well, that's thank me you. I'm done. All right, well, thank
2: you. Last thing was um, Jamal, did you want to introduce yourself and then we're gonna close this out in prayer?
6: Uh, yes. Good evening, everybody. Jamal Vanderburgh from Long Island, New York. Specifically, Hence, at New York. Good to hear everybody on the call tonight. Um, I apologize, I was late. I've literally been on phone calls since 7 o'clock, and I just shared a call on voter engagement and what we can do in our communities for the upcoming election. So, this conversation was definitely on time and on point
2: four tonight. Okay. Do you want to close us out? And we, this is recorded. All the workshop or tips from the three guest speakers are recorded, so we can um, fortunately be able to share the link and go back and listen and, and really move forward because we, we won't be back together again on the call until July 15th, I think, is the next date. Um, the um, July call will be very important because we'll have some successes of some action. Um, there are some marches happening here Saturday. Um, there are some marches probably happening where you are. <coughs> and the goal is to connect with other groups that are moving forward so we can stop reinventing the wheel. I've posted where do we go from here, chaos or community. And I will be sharing that all this week. And I would encourage you all to share it as well. And there's probably some black-owned bookstores that we can buy it from to support. But let's try to make a pact that we will get this book and we will read this book and be empowered with it by the time we get back together in July. So, Jamal, you want to give us a close-out prayer?
6: All right. Um, Let us bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this meeting. We thank you for the convening of minds from all across the country, and we are glad that the work that we do is not in vain. Let us leave, let us go forth, and let us continue to keep impacting our communities. Let us continue to keep impacting the lives of those we touch, and let us come back together with a full agenda and solutions to the many issues that our communities play. It is in the mighty, precious name of Jesus we
0: pray. Amen. Amen.
2: All right. Good night. We'll see you next month and see you online. Love you all. Good night, all John.
0: Good. good night.
4: John. Bye. John. Yes, sir. I need to talk to you briefly if you right, got a minute. Me.
0: All right, call all me me. Right. We'll hang up. Okay. All right.